welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast. I'm Angie Mazzetti. Well, Nasa Mishler is a leading young woman in the tech sector whose time has come because her company, Everest Effect, is an online marketplace matching suppliers with those in need for people in the middle of disasters. She joins me for this week's podcast and talks about the new needs of people trying to navigate work and family life in the middle of a pandemic like COVID-19. One of the reasons they exist is to remove waste and provide more sustainable solutions. You're very welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast. Delighted to have you as a guest. Tell me a little bit about Everest Effect. What is it? I believe it's a marketplace, but you better explain that for our listeners. Sure. Thank you for having me. So Everest Effect is a marketplace for disaster recovery. It's the first direct-to-consumer technology that facilitates connections between people in need and donors and brands who, who want to help. So during these times, uh, very much like the time we're living in right now, there's just so much confusion about what's needed, where to go, and, and what how to help. And so we're making that a lot easier for people. How does it actually work in practice? Sure. So we when we look at how it's playing out right now and, and with COVID, there are, you know, masks and, and medical supplies are making headlines, but um, one of the fastest growing need is, needs is resources for those that are unable to work or shop for themselves. And so basic things like diapers and formula and pet food and soap. And so people can actually go on that have been impacted and they can request these basic supplies. We partner with uh, retailers like Walmart and donors can then go on very much like a wedding registry and see what items are needed. There are real people, real needs in real time, and then purchase those items on their behalf. So is it like a nonprofit or how do you work it? So we created this, it's, um, it's purpose and profit. So 100% of uh, for when donors go on and they purchase these items, 100% of that purchase goes towards the items that people need and the people impacted can access these goods and services free of charge. Um, but we are a, a for-profit social enterprise, and so we work with brands and retailers, and that's how we, um, we grow our business, and, and that's how we set up the business, um, large in part, too, because a lot of the challenges that these nonprofits are facing in terms of red tape and, and being able to you know, really function and, and to do what they need to do in this kind of environment. And so when we work quickly, do, I presume. Yeah, exactly. And moment. so when we correct, and so when we set out to do this, we said, you know, how can we create something that will actually enable more of these nonprofits to be able to do what they do, um, but look at it across the entire life cycle of recovery and not just during relief, but also throughout recovery. And have you been busy during the COVID-19 crisis? Yes, we have. Uh, when we set out to do this, and, and it's been in the works for a couple of years, and, and we really launched last year, we went through a number of scenarios and we said, you know, there are natural disasters and man-made disasters. And when the pandemic hit, we came together and said, you know, how can we come together and use our technology for good and in this, in this unprecedented moment? And so um, we have, we've been incredibly busy um, since our, our launch with Walmart. Um, we've seen, you know, 200% user growth. We've helped 
hundreds of people through the platform, um, and many of which are um, sort of under the radar. Like there are examples, we have some a lot of families and single mothers actually, um, and some of them have health conditions where they may be in remission and have had chemo and can't go and shop for themselves, or a lot of people that have um, lost their jobs. And so it's surfacing these really unmet needs and also tracking to understand what are the needs over time. So last month, a lot of people were in need of soap and um, personal care items. And now we're seeing uh, diapers and batteries and, and even as much as, as people needing sleeping bags and air mattresses as families are under one roof and trying to survive and, and to navigate childcare and other things. So it's um, been very busy, but I think uh, very meaningful to see the technology used in, in this way at this time. So you've only been up and running about a year, but did you, did it take long to prepare to launch? So yes and no. We have, as any marketplace, there are there are two sides, and so for a long time it was really about when these moments happen. How do you start to aggregate information and resources for people in need? Um, surprisingly, there really isn't one place for people to go and an easy way for them to get information. So we've been doing that for quite some time. And as we also see more and more companies start to offer their goods and services, it's figuring out how do we make that front and center and how do we put that in front of these people in need and make it easy for them to access after they've lost everything. Um, and then for the other side of it, I mean, the beauty of a, of a platform and marketplace is it's really about connecting people and companies in an in easy, seamless way through technology. And so as an example, we just started working with TaskRabbit, who provides um, you know, day-to-day services and errands to people. And so in the world of COVID, they can you know, plug into our platform and now enable our users to get free prescription pickup um, or to go shop for groceries on their behalf. So thankfully, because of technology, we're able to do a lot more, a lot a lot more quickly um, than we but would have otherwise been able to do five or ten years ago. Great. Tell me a little bit about yourself, um, Nasa. You, I believe, wanted to be the next Katie Couric. <laughs> you wanted to be in broadcast media. What changed your mind? I did. So I've, I've always paved my own path. And I will say that I've never been, while I was quite successful in corporate America, I was never really driven by title or money. It was really about having impact and having change on the system. And so I, as I navigated my career, um, I spent most, I spent 15 plus years in, in corporate America, but I would always figure out where there's a need and, and what opportunities interested me and then find the companies that were doing that really well. And so that's how I navigated my career for a while. Um, I spent a number of years split between financial services and then working for very large technology brands like LinkedIn. And then I, I got to a point where I was an SVP at a, at a very large bank. I had just had a baby, had a very stable career, if, if, uh, if that makes sense. And when a group of us came together, um, you know, we didn't know it would manifest into Everest effects, but it was really about this opportunity and, and being almost in disbelief that it hadn't been solved yet. And then figuring out, you know, how can we use our expertise and, and what we've learned to, to really make change. Something about having a baby that makes you reassess life, isn't there? <laughs> it is. It does. Yeah. And it you get does. some extra energy or inspiration from somewhere. Did, did that happen to you? <laughs> Do you reckon it was part of it? 
energy, perhaps. I, I also, I, it changed my outlook. And I think this, this probably happens to a lot of, a lot of families and a lot of women where you, you think about how you spend your time and what you spend your time on and who you spend your time with. And so I, I actually, when I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a planner while I sort of paved my own path, I, I do plan. And I was at a, a company and working for a company and at a job that um, wasn't a great fit. And it just so happens that uh, I decided to leave that company after less than a year. And that same week I found out I was pregnant. So I think it's also taught me that you can't plan everything and, and that you have to, you know, have your values and, and have your goals for your, yourself and your family, but you can't have it all figured out either. Are your values very important to you? They are. They, they have always been, I, um, I grew up, in a, with a family, my father was uh, owned a small business, and so from a very small age, I I learned about the value of of um, relationships and people. And at no point did I ever think I would become an entrepreneur, but there were a number of values that were instilled, you know, in me at an early age, and I do believe they shaped, you know, who I am and and what I did, um, especially along the lines of of being very purpose driven. Um, I've worked, you know, with nonprofits and, and even in my spare time, I think I've always had this desire, innate desire to give back and, and to leave the world a little bit better than I found it. And so an um, urge feel, to do good as well. Yeah, no, and I feel I feel fortunate that I can now combine it with with what I do for a living. And but bring all that's your always just been a part of me. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um what difficulties are you coming across at the moment with everybody suddenly in the market for requests for, you know, things in you? I mean, where are the, where are the bottlenecks? Where are the blocks happening at the moment? Yeah, so great question. So as, as most people have seen, the supply chain is severely, severely strained. And what's interesting is in, in quote unquote normal disasters, like even Hurricane Dorian, they normally don't cripple the system the same way that we're seeing a lot of these, like part of the reason why we partner with these large retailers is they have systems established to be able to distribute goods um, in, in times of need, even when there may be a shortage or there may be difficulty having access to certain areas. But right now there's just a severe strain on the, on the supply chain. And so that's one of them. Um, there's also just a lot of noise. There's a lot of, you know, as people have, you know, a lot of people, everyone's home and businesses are trying to figure out how to, how to exist in this new normal. Um, there's just a lot of noise. So being able to reach more people in need and also for those that want to help, just making it very easy for them to do that. And then we've seen um, more activity on the platform now than ever before. Um, so we know it's, it's a great example that people, you know, are finding it easier to use and easy to use and um, do have a desire to to give back and help others. But what's interesting is a lot of it is really about redistribution and a lot of the supplies do exist. It's just um, really about redistribution and, and getting it to the people that need it. Tell me about your time. You said you worked at LinkedIn um, on the Women in Leadership podcast. We're interested hugely in people's careers and career progression, mm -hmm. um, particularly women. Um, what do you think women how could they work better? I mean, do women hold themselves back in their career choices, do you think, sometimes? Or their career path? Sure. And everyone's different, but I mean, absolutely. And, and there have been studies on this, but I, I think many of us have experienced this 
firsthand as well is when you know you you set out and you have a vision of what you expect your life to be and the path that that will get you there you um you know certainly have experiences and need to make decisions and that can change the trajectory of your career i think what's very oh, i'm fortunate and and this is something that linkedin has always um, stood for is the ability to offer both men and women opportunities that that wouldn't have existed many years ago and giving them the support and the resources to do that so that unlike I think some other experiences people have you you aren't always in a position where you have to choose um, and hopefully when you look at even the, the state we're in now I think a silver lining and something that I hope changes after this is that people look at the world differently and and people are humanized and as you're trying to co-parent and co-live and co-work and have a little bit more empathy for you know for everyone but i think for women um in particular and so i hope that that's some good that comes out of this yeah i think one of the big changes is the whole area of working from home i think a lot of large employers have been resisting the whole idea of you know facilitating people working from home but now they're seeing the benefits of it for both men and women but and you know and for women who always wanted the option of working at home they're now seeing that you know sometimes it's it's not that easy and it's nice to get out from the homes where you can just be a worker and you can save being a mom till you get home or minding the dog or whatever it is you know so there's there's huge challenges in working from home too aren't there correct i also think it shows them that you can be productive and it's amazing what you can accomplish in maybe half the time when when you have to so I, I there are challenges my my husband works in a in a world in a company where prior to this they had never worked from home uh so you know and you don't have the same systems and support but uh, i think there's more good that will come out of this than not just because people you know it's and it's been long enough now that people can see that there is still productivity and if anything they just need to figure out how to support their employees in, in perhaps a different way. But I hope that um, it helps them also rethink how and where people can work um, in the future. Do you think it's going to be better for the environment with less commuting as well? I hope so. I see, we, given the world we live in we, or that we work in, we you know think a lot about climate change and um, what's happening around that. So I, and I hope that the, the data can speak for itself. But I, I do hope that it, it is something that can be, you know, lasting beyond this moment. Um, it may not mean that people can, you know, work from home every day or cut their commutes out completely. But when you look at what's been able to happen and how so many things are now virtual and, and whether it's an event, it's events or businesses that were, you know, were not virtual before and are now, um, you know, there's such a shift and, and I hope that if, the, um, they see the outcomes that they are looking for, that it'll continue and that it'll actually minimize travel and minimize the impact that people are having on the environment. And is the environment and sustainability, is that one of your core values in uh, uh, Everest Effect as well? Yes, yeah, so we actually, one of the main reasons we started Everest Effect was because there was so much waste in the system. So when these horrible moments happen, because people have lost everything, people give everything in terms of in-kind donations. And you'll hear of 
when the earthquake in Haiti happened, people giving winter coats or donating prom dresses and all of these things while it's coming from a really good place. It's just absolutely what's not needed. And they, they call it the second disaster because it actually interferes with efforts and ends up in, in a landfill. And so that was one of the, the main drivers when we started you know, seeing those types of statistics. So, um, you know, part of a big reason why we exist is to remove waste from the system. But we also think about how we can provide more sustainable products to people. So an example would be rather than water, um, providing water filters for solar powered lights. So sustainable solutions um, and then creating a more sustainable system. Do you have many people working with you and you know, what's the best part of the day? Is it the planning? Is it seeing things coming into action? What's, what's your day like? So we have, we have a team of about four full-time people, and then we have a team, and it's, it's grown, I would say it's almost doubled since COVID-19 began, of um, volunteers or people that we've worked with in our past lives that have come together in this time and, and wanting to work on something meaningful and wanting to give back. So um, thankfully we were all, well, some of us lived in, in the same area. A lot of the work we did before was virtual and so there really wasn't a disruption there. But it's, it's honestly been the stories of the people that, that we've helped for so long and for anyone, whether they've, you know, they're an entrepreneur or they work at a large company, you know, for so long you spend the time, you know, building something. And then when it makes its way into the world and, and given especially what we do, um, the gratification of of seeing these people that you know might have been under the radar or may not have had a voice to be able to give them a voice is um, extremely gratifying. And what are your plans for the future? How do you hope to grow it, Everest Effect? So we have big ambitions. Uh, we we expect in the next few years to aid you know almost two million people globally, and so. We um, and and really we believe that not only do we want to help more people recover, but we want to put them in a position to actually pay it forward and give back, so it becomes full circle, um, and also just touch other types of recovery. So we started with disasters, and there's plenty of work to do there, but recovery, you know, can mean so many things and manifests itself in so many different ways. So figuring out how we can use the technology um, for other types as well. Very good. Where did you get the name from, by the way, Everest Effect? So it actually started as a project name. So, um, and we didn't know it would manifest into what it is today. Um, when you think about climbing Everest to a lot of people, it feels impossible, um, but it actually is possible when you take it a thousand feet at a time. And then the, um, the effect was really about when these horrible moments happen, people want to pay it forward. And you see these amazing moments of human, human acts of kindness. And even for people like that were in Hurricane Harvey, um, we see them you know, traveling north to help people impacted by the Midwest tornadoes or people that live in Florida supporting people from Hurricane Dorian. And so it was really about, as I mentioned, bringing it full circle and this effect of people paying it forward. Okay, it's truly sustainable. Tell me, before we let you go, um, what are your top five leadership tips or pearls of wisdom, as we call them here? What would your top five tips be for women who, you know, who want to be like you, who, you know, want to lead out in their own field? Maybe start it. Sure. The first, and I, I've learned this at LinkedIn, and I live, live by this every day, is to take intelligent risks. So when you look at 
every active innovation and all of the amazing things that have been developed in the world, it, it usually starts from a risk and we're faced with these risks every day. So it may not always be easy to navigate them, but they really can change the direction of your life. And I believe in creating a culture where you can not only take intelligent risks, but also celebrate them regardless of the outcome. Um, so that would be the first. I think around talent is hiring and the workforce is changing as, as we talked about and the way people look at working and where they work, but believing in hiring for, for talent and not always longevity. If you can help people to find their purpose, you just get so much more out of them, whether they work with you for you know, two years or 20 years, um, and then taking that moment to, to celebrate their next chapter, which I think is changing. Um, and then creating, you know, for us, and it's, it's a little bit easier as a, you know, early stage company, but I've worked at massive organizations where this has worked too, where you make it about relationships rather than hierarchy. So it's less about the, you know, structure, but it's more about how do people make decisions and how do you empower them to make those decisions, which requires trust and being very direct and, and at times vulnerable. Um, but for us, I mean, talent is everything for our organization and allowing people to make decisions at that pace um, just has a huge benefit, not only on the business, but on how they perform um, in their roles. I would say on, uh, on the personal front, and I, I'm still working on this, is progress, not perfection. My uh, chief product officer pushes me every day on this. And when you're leading disruption and, and, and something like disaster recovery like we are, it's never ending and, and very much an iterative journey. So you, you can't move forward if you keep waiting for that perfection. Perfect, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just you know, being okay with that, uh, which is not, um, not always easy to do, but something I'm working on. And then lastly is just not waiting to pay it forward. A lot of women, a lot of people, but women in particular can suffer from imposter syndrome. And something that I think we all need to recognize is, you know, you may have spent a few months or a few years in a role or, or building a company, but it's a few months or a few more years than someone else has. And so it's realizing that people can benefit from hearing your story and both men and women, we all have a responsibility to remove barriers and, and to make more of these opportunities more widely available. So just um, not waiting to pay it forward and just doing, doing your part each and every day. Just get in there and do the work. Yeah. Yeah. And very much what you're, you're doing with, with your women in leadership and, and having more women share their stories. Yeah. I often out. feel that uh, women don't use their voice enough. And I was talking to somebody last week who said that not only that, but that very often on their LinkedIn profiles, particularly a few years ago, uh, when Emily Fogiers was saying that uh, women don't put their photograph in, whereas the men will automatically do it because they're more, you know, image conscious. Um, so I think that's changing. I hope that's changing. And, you know, it's great to have you as a guest as well, to be able to use your voice and not be afraid of saying what you, you think and feel. Uh, last but not least is your music choice. What's your go-to song when you want to get yourself motivated? Get up and out and at it. So, I mean, no surprise, but mostly female artists that speak their minds. Uh, probably anything by Lizzo um, is, is my go-to and also Beyonce. Uh, I think, you know, we live in a time too where 
things are so serious and and so just artists that just don't take themselves so seriously but um very you know powerful fearless women like Lizzo and, and Beyonce well, it's been an absolute pleasure yeah. having you uh, on the Women in Leadership podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, Nisa, the best of luck to you with Everest Effect. Thank you. Well, my thanks to this week's guest, Nisa Mishler of Everest Effect. My take-homes from Nisa, I suppose, are that you can't plan out everything, but you must have your values and goals in place and then see where life takes you. She hopes that the world will have a little more empathy for women and families trying to work and co-parent, which is something we can all agree on. Thanks for joining us this week on the Women in Leadership podcast. Do tell your friends to join in too in the conversation. The newsletter will be going out later this month, so if you want to be on our mailing list, go to the website and sign up for lots of additional content about women in leadership and about our featured guests. If you want to suggest a guest or to become a sponsor, get in touch with us on info at womeninleadership.ie or write to us using the contact box on the website. Until the next podcast, from me, Angie Mazzetti, and all on the Women in Leadership podcast team, goodbye and take good care of yourselves and each other.